The following program is sponsored by Friends of Life Outreach International. My father was, had been imprisoned. When I was um, 11 years old, he was arrested. Oh, and you knew that story? You knew what was happening? Or we did not, not exactly? We were not told why okay. he had gone to prison. We were, we were told that we were being persecuted because we were God's chosen people. Okay. We were taught not to ask questions. We were taught to lie to any outsiders. And we weren't allowed to talk to outsiders. Anna LeBaron is the polygamous daughter. Next. Unusual story today, a polygamous daughter. Now, this is the title of the book, actually, Polygamous Daughter. Anna LeBaron, LeBaron and uh, her father was uh, a, uh, let's say, a very extreme uh, father, had uh, 50 children by many different wives. There is a story of his life that was made into a movie. It's still available. The, uh, the man not only fathered many children, had many wives, but he actually uh, ordered the uh, death of people that in some way crossed the line, in his opinion. And uh, Anna was pretty well, uh, let's say, on the road to being totally uh, destroyed. But a miracle occurred. I I'm happy to say, and by the way, this is just a phenomenal story of, of what happened to a, a little girl and in that journey. Uh, with a man that was uh, known as uh, uh, the Mormon Manson, like Charles Manson. And the Mormon church certainly in no way would approve one thing about this man and what he did, and so don't even imply that. But the point is uh, that uh, this young lady is a miracle. And when Betty, she was able to tell us that the church that you and I are part of. I'm blessed to be an elder in the church. The pastor was one of the young men that grew up, you might say, traveling with, with me in ministry, Robert Morris. And to know the impact that Gateway had on her life is nothing short of miraculous. And that means the individual members mm -hmm. who share the love of God in what was called freedom ministry really blessed me. This is a phenomenal story. I, I want you to uh, welcome the polygamous daughter, Anna, uh, to life today. Anna LeBaron, would you welcome Anna? We do welcome you. Thank you. We're glad you're here. Thank you. I, I want you to tell us what you think it's important for people to know about your journey, what you experienced, and what happened to enable you to, let's say, overcome what was imposed upon you even as a child and what, what you witnessed. Well, I was born into and raised in this violent polygamist cult, as you said. I was born in Colonia LeBaron, in the LeBaron colony down in Chihuahua, Mexico. And that's where um, generations of my family have lived and practiced polygamy, mm -hmm. all the way back to um, my great-great-great-grandfather, Benjamin F. Johnson. So polygamy runs in my family all the way back to Joseph Smith's days. So that's where I was born. Um, at the time, my father and his brother were co-leading a group, and there was some dissension between them. So 
my father and his followers broke off and left the colony. Were you, were you around? Were you mm -hmm. born at this I time when this happened? This time. <laughs> were you troubled by what you saw? Did I was it, a baby. Mm -hmm. Okay, you were I was very, little. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't aware of what was mm -hmm. happening at the time. So when I was three years old, though, my father ordered his first hit on his very own brother. And, and so they did kill him? They did kill him. Mm. So at the age of three, we began living a life in, living in fear. We didn't know what was happening. The children didn't know. The adults were, were hiding and on the run from the law. And, and then more hits were ordered after that. And it just snowballed into this big, giant mess of were a life. Were you able to feel this as a child, that there's tension oh, here that actually did yes. put, put a legitimate fear in you? Oh, yes. And could you tell the others around you? Like the, you said, there, he had many wives, so mm -hmm. they, would be, they would be there in the area, right? Well, so, we didn't all live in the same home mm -hmm. or in the compound as it's generally believed or seen in the news these days. Um, we lived all over uh, California, Colorado, and Texas, mainly, and some in Arizona. So we moved a lot, trying to stay ahead of the law. So we would move up into the middle of the night. Um, people would come and go in the nighttime because that wouldn't be detected. Their coming and going would be less detected that way. So we would go to bed at night not knowing who was going to be in the home when we woke up, who would have arrived or who would have left. So it left our life um, a lot of chaos, a lot of insecurity, and no roots. No roots. So you hardly all. ever knew when you were going to move the next time because right. you never got settled in. We anywhere. never got to be settled in. We never got the settled feeling anywhere we went. Were you aware that danger was coming to certain people? No, we you, were not. You, you'd notice some people just seemed to not be around anymore? People would come and go, and we never, we were taught not to ask questions. So mm -hmm. that was something that we weren't allowed to ask oh, where is so and so? And were you physically hurt in any way while you were a child? Growing up. Well, we were spanked a lot. <laughs> I don't know if that's the question you're answer, asking. Well, we, we, we spanked our children. I think we were nice parents. <laughs> and they actually are very grateful for uh, so, very um, appropriately uh, applying the uh, uh, Board of, of Education the, to the seat of, the, of understanding. <laughs> some of the spanking, some of the discipline, if you can call it that, went way beyond mm -hmm. what a, sure. a, abuse. Yeah. It became abusive right. for a lot of children. Yeah. And so we lived that life. That was how we accepted it. We were taught not to ask questions. We were taught to lie to any outsiders. And we weren't allowed to talk to outsiders. So so what did, in, in this journey, where did you reach a, a point that uh, you either realized something was terribly amiss or you began to try to find some way of escape? Or did you try to find a way of escape from that environment? I did eventually, when I was 13 years old. So after living on the run for a whole decade of my very impressionable childhood years, we, um, we were living in Houston at the time. And uh, my father was, had been imprisoned when I was um, 11 years old. He was arrested. And then... What did they arrest him for? Um, he, they, were, they arrested him for and tried him for the death of a rival cult leader that mm -hmm. he had ordered the death of, for. And so he was convicted. He was convicted, and he was sentenced to life in prison. And you knew that story. You knew what was happening? Or we did not. not exactly. We were not told why okay. he had gone to prison. We were, we were told that we were being persecuted because we were God's chosen people. Okay. So that was the explanation that we had for that. So he was in prison. 
Um, when I was 12, he died in prison under very mysterious circumstances. Mm. And then about within months, six months or so, um, where we had been living prior to that in extreme poverty and squalor mm -hmm. in Denver, um, the man that was in charge in Denver had talked my mom into moving back to Denver. And it was the life that we were living in Houston that opened my eyes to the possibility of something different um, because of the way they were managing their little faction of our group. Um, so you say something different, meaning you could see something better or you needed to get away from what you were in to find no, something better? No, I, well, I needed to stay there hmm. to continue what they had what they were doing. Um, they had um, started a, a school in their garage. They had read in Time Magazine, I think, an article about accelerated Christian education, which mm -hmm. provided curriculum mm -hmm. to help students who could learn, so they could learn at their own so pace. So you were doing homeschool all the time, right? Yeah, Before we were in public yep. school for a long time, but we moved around so much, okay. there were so mm -hmm. many gaps in our education. Okay. So they started this little school in their garage, and it was lovely. We, I but were they it. part of the cult? That they started? were still part of the cult, mm -hmm. but they started this little church mm -hmm. so that they could have this little school in their garage. Mm -hmm. So I really consider them the heroes of my story. And do you think they actually were doing positive things? Yes, they were. So were they more or less seekers, even though they were trapped in the cult? So I, don't, I wouldn't necessarily call them seekers at that time. Mm -hmm. I think that they wanted the curriculum, and okay. so they started a church, mm -hmm. quote, so Around that they that. could have... Mm -hmm you know, just fulfill that requirement so they could have this little church school in their garage. Well, eventually my dad died. My mom decided to move back to Denver. I didn't want to go to Denver. I loved the life that we had in Houston. It was better than any life we had ever had before. Mm -hmm. So I called my sister when I found out my mom was going back. I said, I don't want to go back to Denver. And she said, start walking. So you left, you ran away? So I ran away from oh. home. I walked out of my house. With what happens after that? She um, found me. I guess she found, went looking for me. The mother found you? <laughs> my sister. sister so was she you. out of the cult? Has Not yet. Oh, okay. Not yet. But she told you to start walking. She told me to start walking. Well, but why did she come find you? Things were really shaking up in mm -hmm. the whole, mm -hmm. the whole group was kind of divided. Okay. And so she came and found me. She hid me for three days. And like as a positive way yes. of helping? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. And then my mom looked for me that night, and when she couldn't find me, she took all the other kids and, and did exactly what I thought she was gonna do, and that was move back to Denver. And they left everything behind, because that's how we moved almost all the time. Okay, so what did you do now? Here you are 13, and they're gone. So they have this little church school with only one little student, which oh. didn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> okay. So they enrolled me in the little Christian school that was just down the road from their home, and that's where I came to know Christ. Really? But in that particular place? In that little church school. Okay, but now were they still, were those people still part of the cult? More but they or were less, breaking, yes. breaking away from but it. But they were breaking yeah. away from okay, it. Okay, now take us a little bit quicker on the journey here. You, <laughs> you, you're now, you're, you're, you're finding the Lord. Yes. And so, but you still have a troubled life. Yes, very so much so. So take us rapidly up to where you actually end up at Gateway, finding everything that began to make everything better. Okay, so lots more happened, and I talk about it in the book. Right. And then I, uh, a lot of things happened that were very troubling, and I ended up uh, finishing school, went to college, and then got married. 
and had started having children of my own. Well, some events happened that created this situation where I had this horrific nightmare. A friend um, asked me if she, if, I, if she made an appointment for me, would I go to, to a counseling? Hmm. And so I did. I ended up in counseling with a professional. And then that was 1995. So for five years, I worked with this professional counselor doing what she called peeling back the layers of an onion. And she was a Christian counselor. Mm -hmm. When we got to the core of that onion, what I found there was just a little girl who wanted to have a daddy. Mm. And I grieved the thing that should have been, but was not. Mm. And then you can fast forward even some more. In 2005, I moved to Dallas, I began attending Gateway Church. And there, I started attending Freedom Ministry. So I, the first night, first class, levels of change, I heard what he was saying about how you have to find your identity in Christ, knowing who you are in Christ. And so I thought, well, this is it. And if this is you know, where it needs to be, then I'm camping out right here. And I basically had what I call my Jacob's Ladder moment where I said, I will not let go until you bless me. Mm. And then pressed in, attended, um, sought for and, and prayed for and asked for and, and did my part in the freedom journey. And then lo and behold, several years after that, I just had a moment with God where I finally, finally felt like a daughter. And, and knew the father. That, very, very much so. So I, I went in that transition from what I call having a fatherless existence to what I now call having a well-fathered heart mm -hmm. with a capital F. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I feel well-fathered. And today. how long now have you been enjoying that relationship? How many years <laughs> well, now, you say? Probably about five. <laughs> so when did you start writing the book and when you start telling the story? It's published by Tyndall. So what is it that you believe people who read, who didn't grow up with this, but the, the father hole is in people's hearts. Yes. I definitely want people to know that no matter what has happened in their life, any kind of trauma or any of the abuses, not just abuse that leaves marks and scars on the body, but uh, the hidden abuses that leave marks and scars on the heart, the soul, and the spirit, um, all of those can be healed. All of those can be um, you bring him to the foot of the cross, and those hurts, those can be healed. And, and he that was he, my experience. He wants to be a father to all of us. Yes. If we'll just receive him. And, and really what I want people to know is that sometimes the healing can be miraculous and instantaneous, mm -hmm. but sometimes it's a process. Mm -hmm. And so whether it's miraculous. I think probably with most it's a process. Yeah. With you most know, yeah. it's a process. The, the Damascus Road experience is one of <laughs> very few in the Bible. The others are more Simon, Peter, you know, James and John and uh, all of them process all and people. Simon, Peter being the more challenging in some ways. But the point is they're not all dramatic right. and instant. Like you said, it's, mm -hmm. it's progressive and we don't need to feel like God's failing. He isn't. Right. No, it's, it was, it's as much as you can receive and contain of him that he allows and so for me, the receiving and the containing, my container has grown. <laughs> Let me put it that way. And now you want to share, which yes. is the reason you're talking. It's the mm -hmm. reason you wrote the book. Do you appreciate her being willing to tell her story? Mm -hmm. Coming out of the pain, uh, you know, unbelievable, unbelievable story. It's just, it's, it's really, 
It's, you might say it's as horrific as anything you've seen historically. It's as horrific as anything you've read in the Bible. The drama, the dramatics of it. I mean, you know, they don't, uh, well, Tyndall doesn't come publish a book uh, that doesn't have merit and, and that's not important. I know, I know the publishers well and Ken, Ken Taylor. I just was, you know, a great encourager of all the things that he did. And it's, it's just a great, it's a great publisher. And they, I've done several books with them. But the point is that th there's a reason this is here and a reason for what God did. And, and the reason for freedom ministries in churches like, like Gateway. And I just praise God for it. Uh, uh, we just thank you. And uh, the book is in the bookstores and you can get it. Uh, you know, we always, and just like right now, we are offering, because we want to bless our viewers, we're offering the words of Jesus. Now, you can't miss with that. No, you can't. Now, this whole book's a red, red book. It ought to be read. It's read. That's the best book right and it's there. all there. <laughs> so it's just about it's what he says, and then words of healing. And, and we've just had some miracles happen. I mean, there's people getting out of bed to couldn't walk, and just suddenly they're well. And then we check back, and they're, they're still well. I mean, it's miracles. It's not like just a fleeting thing. So we want to put good things in people's hands. And you know what our viewers like? They love being someone's miracle. They see, you were so happy to tell us that somebody helped you, mm -hmm. that you, you first of all, a little school, mm -hmm. but then somebody helped you in Gateway, mm -hmm. and your life was changed. Mm -hmm. Well, what you're doing, and please, please don't miss this, because I think the viewers of our program are very unique. Because once you say, well, you've helped me, you don't just check out. Because you know that we're going to give you the great joy of becoming someone's miracle or being the avenue or the way or the channel of miraculous healing. I mean, changing everything and not wishful thinking. And there's nothing more miraculous than giving someone Fresh, clean water, meeting that need and changing everything. And that's precisely what you can do. You're about to witness a miracle. You're going to witness love meeting a need and then that love bringing someone in need to the greatest relationship with Christ. Watch this. It's going to bless you. It's going to bless you a lot. They say that the sure sign of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. For Nayor, she has no choice but to repeat her steps, even when she knows those same steps cost the life of her baby girl. Now, as she draws water yet again from the same contaminated source, she hopes this time will be different, that her older daughter won't fall ill and die the same terrible death as her baby girl. It's so hard for me to sit here and listen to her story and see such pain um, in her eyes. And it's so raw, it's so fresh. But the biggest thing is just hearing her say that all she needs is clean water. And knowing that that could have changed everything for her, like she's fully aware 
of what she needs, but she can't do anything about it. And I would love to be able to speak hope into her life and tell her that things are about to change. Indeed, change began that day as Naor prayed to receive Jesus as her Lord and Savior. Now her soul will never thirst again. And it's our prayer that, like so many others around the world, with your help, she will no longer thirst for clean drinking water for her family and village. Wow, that is just such a beautiful picture of love and Tammy Trent praying there and leading that precious mother to the Lord who lost her baby. Um, Tammy lost the love of her life. She lost her husband to water. Her husband drowned. And he was an almost professional swimmer. He's gone. But the love that God put in Tammy's heart has taken her around the world as well as a gifted musician and communicator and a great friend and co-laborer with life. Betty, we know how that mother felt to lose mm -hmm. a child. And uh, there's not a person watching us, not one of you, that if you could have saved our girl, you would have done it. Well, you can save the children like she was talking about by giving them a, a water well. And our goal is to give 400. And Betty, we can't do that. You and I give a well. We've asked God to let us always do that. And he just answered our prayer. That every time the missionaries say, okay, now here's our goal. Bless God, we're able to give a well. And uh, some of you can do that now. I just believe everybody doing their part, we're going to get the 400 wells we need. I do too. And I trust that you will join with us. And let's, let's give hope to these precious mothers that know that every time they go to that dirty water hole, that there's death in it. But yet, what do they do? Their babies have to have water to live very, very long. And now we have the opportunity to reach out in hope and drill the water wells and the filters. Of course, we can't get in to drill water wells. They, they offer the filters to them now. And it makes such a difference. You see such joy come on their faces. When they see that water come up out of the ground, it's like dancing in the streets. They just love it because they know what it means, especially the mothers. They know that it can save the lives of their children. Please join with us and let's make the difference. And you know, I'm confident that our viewers will. You've been so special. You're amazing. I wish I could know all of you. I wish I could hold your hand. I wish I could give you a hug. And just let you know how grateful we are that you've given so many people a chance at life. Giving them water for life while we point them to the water of life, the love of God through Jesus. This is our last week. We need to hear from every one of you. We need those of you who can drill a well to do it. They're $4,800. Or give a portion of a well. $1,200 or $2,400 and pray others join you. And I believe they will. If you can give $48 or $144, those two amounts, let me break it down for you. $48 will give 10 people water the rest of their life. $144 will give 30 people water the rest of their life. Betty mentioned the filter systems. If we can give three families their own filter, it works like dialysis. It'll take everything unclean out of the water, all contaminants, all bacteria. And we can give three families their own system for $100. That's in the areas where the terrain will not allow the drilling rigs to get in, but they're way up in those areas. They too need clean water. So they have access to contaminated water. We can give them a filter system for $100, 3 dollars 
three families. All right, there's a level at which you could help. I want you to go online. Please see the online site or dial that number that's always there as a prayer line. Now you're turning it into a lifeline. You're going to give life on that line, water for life. Would you please right now take your bank card, go get it, go online, make the call. Please do it now. It's just so easy. You're going to get distracted in a little while, and this is the last week. So we really need your help to complete this goal, and I believe you want to do it. I believe you want to be the miracle someone is praying for and longing for, and you literally can be. So please go online or make that call, and thank you so much for doing it. We have some gifts to bless you, but you're giving the greatest gift. You're giving life. Every day, children living in extreme poverty are forced to make a dreadful choice. Drink polluted water filled with deadly disease or perhaps die of thirst. No child should ever be faced with this decision. The good news is there is a solution. Mission Water for Life is one of the most proven and viable demonstrations of God's love in the world today. Suffering can't end because clean water changes everything. With your gift today, you can help drill 400 water wells in remote villages in 15 nations. A gift of $48 will provide disease-free water for 10 people. $72 will provide for 15 people. And $144 will help provide clean water straight from the ground for 30 people. Please also consider an additional gift of $100 to help provide three families with water filtration kits in emergency areas where our drilling rigs are unable to reach. As our thank you, we'll send you the books Words of Jesus and Words of Healing. One contains only the words of Jesus and the other scriptures for healing in your body, mind, and soul. With your $100 gift, you can receive both hardbound and softbound editions of these scripture promise books. Finally, please consider a gift of $1,200 to help provide water for 250 people or a gift of $4,800 to help sponsor a complete well. And you may request our beautiful hand-sculpted Determined Eagle Bronze. This is the last week. Please call, write, or make your gift online. We are going to be sending you the words of healing, the words of Jesus, and uh, some beautiful study guides that will help you as you go through this. If you would like to have Anna's book, The Polygamous Daughter and the Miraculous Story, we'll be happy to send it to you. Say, James, I think there are things in there I just need to hear. I need to read. And uh, would you mind uh, sending it to us? It's in the bookstores. You can get it online. And, but you help us give water, and we'll be glad to send it to you to say thanks. Join Betty and me in saying thanks again to Anna. Would you please? Thank you, thank you. Thank you so thank much you. for sharing your journey. May many be set free. Thank you so much for watching. And we really do thank you for helping us. Remember, this is the last week. We need to hear from you. Thank you. Thank all of you.
In their words, they needed to take me to the brink of death in order to give me any chance of life. Struggling with identity after cancer nearly takes her speech. Life Today is made possible by the supporters of Life Outreach International. Your gift will be used exclusively for the exempt purposes of life. The ministry features specific outreaches as examples of the programs it supports and conducts. Gifts are considered to be without restriction as to use unless explicitly stipulated by the donor. The ministry is a member of the ECFA.